Good evening, everyone. Uh, Merry Christmas. It is great to be with you this evening. Uh, as we approach God's Word, as we approach the story of Christmas, I think it's appropriate for us to just take a moment and remind ourselves of why it is that we set aside time each and every year to look at the story of Christmas. After all, uh, if we were to take a poll of everyone here in this room, I would, I would venture a guess that most of us have heard the Christmas story before. Uh, that we have, we've heard it many times before, and, and we might be wondering, well, why exactly is it necessary for us to cover something that we've heard so many times? And the answer is, plain and simple, because we have a tendency forget, to forget. Even if we don't forget, we can grow bored and distracted with the message of Christmas, especially in the midst of all of these different competing claims that are competing for our attention, for the meaning of Christmas, it is important for us to remind ourselves of the true reason why we gather together and why we celebrate at Christmas. Now, this isn't an us-versus-them sort of dichotomy. It's divide. It's something that actually goes through the middle of each of our own hearts. There is this struggle within each and every one of us to find our, our attention focusing on the true meaning of Christmas while also wanting to turn our attention to other places. And so it's within that context that the importance of reminding ourselves of the message of Christmas takes a prominence. And that's why I want us to turn our attention tonight to a short verse in 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians chapter 8 is one of the most powerful descriptions of the meaning and the significance of Christmas. 2 Corinthians chapter 8 verse 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, Yet for your sake he became poor, so that by his poverty you might become rich. What is Christmas about? Why do we remember the birth of Jesus? Well, this verse gives us the answer. Let me read it again. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. This evening, let's just take a, a few moments to work through this verse, to consider the message of Christmas by going through this verse just very briefly, phrase by phrase, and see what it has to say about the all-surpassing beauty and majesty of Christmas. Let's pray as we approach God's Word. Lord Jesus, as we approach your Word tonight, we ask that you would be present with us, that we would see you, we would make much of you tonight. Lord, in the midst of all of the excitement of the Christmas season, I pray that you would help us to fix our eyes on you. God, that you would help us to find true excitement and true wonder nowhere else but in you. God, we ask that you would bless this time in your word this evening. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. 2 Corinthians 8 verse 9 begins with this phrase. It says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. And this is an, appro an appropriate way for us to start at Christmas Eve. As I mentioned earlier, I would guess that many, if not most of us, know the Christmas story, and Paul's words to the church in Corinth could very easily be addressed to us as well. You know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. But just because you are familiar with the Christmas story doesn't mean that you have nothing left to learn. It doesn't mean that we have it all figured out. That there's nothing left to stir our hearts to a greater and deeper affection for Jesus this 
Christmas. Now, we may be familiar with the Christmas story, but I pray that we would never be so familiar with it that it robs us of wonder and majesty that we find in these words. The Christmas story, the story of the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ is like a fine piece of art. It is like a wonderful movie or book. It is something that the more we turn our attention to it, the more that we study it, the more we focus on it, the more we can see and appreciate the beauty of its majesty. You may know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, but don't for a second think that you have it all figured out that there is no space left for you to marvel at the story of Christmas. Our verse continues, that though he was rich. Have you ever considered that the Christmas story does not begin with Christmas? It actually doesn't start with the angels appearing to Mary and Joseph, predicting these things that are about to take place. It doesn't even take place or begin with the prophecies of the Old Testament centuries earlier. No, the the story of Christmas starts before all of these things because there was no beginning with Jesus. Jesus always has been and Jesus always will be. He did not come into existence in Bethlehem 2,000 years ago. He is the eternal God by whom and for whom and through whom all things were created. And even now, at this very second, all things are sustained by his power. He is the king of the ages, the immortal the invisible, the only God, the God who saved Israel out of slavery in Egypt, and the God who will save us today if we place our faith in him. The story of Christmas begins by reminding us of this truth, that that Jesus has always existed in his glory and his majesty, and, and as this phrase emphasizes, his riches are beyond our comprehension. He has no need, he has no lack for anything because it is all his. Just consider for a moment the the description of Jesus' majesty and wealth as described in the Old Testament. For every beast of the forest is mine, the cattle on a thousand hills. I know all the birds of the hills and all that moves in the field is mine. If I were hungry, I would not tell you, for the world and its fullness are mine." This is Jesus who declares, the God who declares to Job, who was first given to me that I should repay him, whatever is under the whole heaven is mine. This is the God of whom it is said in Psalm 24, the earth is the Lord and the fullness thereof, the world and those who dwell therein. Look around you. And everything and every one you see belongs to this king. Walk outside, and before you get into your cars, look up to the heavens, and you will catch but a glimpse of the majesty of the expanse of his dominion. Charles Spurgeon was a pastor in the late 1800s in England, and he describes the riches of this glory this way. The Lord Jesus might as well have said, I can stretch my scepter from the east all the way to the west, and all is mine. The whole of this world and all worlds that glitter in far off space, all of them are mine, the limitless expanse of unmeasured space, filled as it were with worlds that I have made. All of this is mine. Fly upward, and you cannot reach the summit of the hills of my dominion. Dive downwards, and you cannot enter into the innermost depths of my sway. From the highest throne in the glory to the lowest pit of hell, all, all of this is mine without exception. 
I can put the broad arrow of my kingdom upon everything that I have made. Does your Christmas story start with this? With marveling at the unfathomable wealth of the king of all creation. Does it start with this wonder of who Jesus is, that that Jesus leaves the heavens and he has been there for eternity past, and yet, as we shall soon see, he willingly gives it all up to walk among us. He, who never had need or want, descended to earth as a helpless babe in full dependence upon a woman for his very survival. He who spoke and light sprang into existence, the one who who holds the universe by the word of his power, becomes a babbling baby. The one who knows the intricacies of everything that there is because he created it, how our universe works and how it is held together, becomes a boy who doesn't even know how to write his name. The story of Christmas doesn't start with Bethlehem. It starts with a king who is matchless in his wealth and wisdom and beauty, the eternal God. What does this king of creation do at Christmas? Our verse continues and tells us, For your sake, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor. I wonder what is more astonishing and more incomprehensible. The wealth of this king from eternity past, or that he would freely give it all up at Christmas. The one who was rich beyond our comprehension, or that he willingly and freely became poor. Yes, there is a massive gap between the creator and the wealthiest of his creation. We've already touched on that, but just consider for a moment the poverty of this king's birth. The matchless king was not born in Caesar's palace in Rome, but he was born in a barn or in a cave for animals. This reigning king was not wrapped in fine silks, but instead was wrapped in rags. This long-awaited king was not laid in a cradle of gold or ivory, but was laid in a feeding trough. This king, whose birth was not recorded in royal registries and his birth announcement declared to all people of the world, but instead was declared simply to vagabond shepherds. This king, as an infant, was forced to flee his homeland and become a penniless refugee in Egypt. This king, who as a child is not tutored to become a fair and benevolent ruler or a brilliant military strategist, but instead takes up the trade of a carpenter. We see in the testimony of the Gospels and their scarcity of the details of Jesus' life until he is age 30, that this somebody, that this person, that this being at the, the center of the cosmos, the most important being there could ever be, has become a nobody. The poverty of this king does not stop at his birth, but is on display throughout his life. The one who provided water for Israel out of a rock in the desert, the one who before that shaped and fashioned the oceans, finds himself asking a Samaritan woman for a drink of water. The one who created the east and the west and the north and the south walks everywhere he goes, and sometimes on water. The one who gave Israel a dwelling place in the land of Israel has no place to call his own. 
The ruler of the cosmos was once waited upon by angelic hosts, but now he comes not to be served, but instead to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. The object of the praise of heavens through all eternity becomes the object of scorn and ridicule and mockery. Truly in Christmas and beyond, we see that the one who was once rich beyond comprehension has become poor. Consider the poverty of the end of his life where he is betrayed by one of his closest friends, where he is condemned to death by his own people because of jealousy. And his execution is carried out by a Roman authority because he is too afraid to ruin his political career, to worry about justice. Consider his sufferings at the hands of bloodthirsty men. Consider the poverty of his death, cursed by God because he is hung on a tree outside of the city like a common criminal. Consider the poverty of this man who willingly bore, that this man willingly bore, this one who could save himself, choosing not to save himself so that he could save others. What is the purpose of all this? What is the purpose of Jesus leaving behind the heavens and embracing a life of obscurity? Our verse gives us the answer. That though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor. So that you, by his poverty, might become rich. Let the weight of those words sink in. For your sake. Christmas was for your sake. The humiliation, the poverty, the manger was for your sake. I, Jordan, am the chief of sinners, and yet for my sake, he became poor. But it would be wrong for us to stop there because our verse doesn't stop there. It goes even further and it tells us that this was done for our sake. But it says, why? What is the end goal of Christmas? What is the end goal of Jesus coming to earth? The end goal of this poverty that the rich, fathomless, beautiful, glorious king approached. It was so that we might become rich. It is not at all hard for us to find churches today that will rip this promise out of the context of this verse and make it say what it has not and will never say. This is not a blanket promise, promising us inestimable earthly wealth, but it is a guarantee of an inheritance reserved in the heavens for you, purchased by Jesus' coming to earth for your sake. What is the purpose of Christmas? It's simply this, that you would become an heir of God's glory. Why is it that we celebrate Christmas? It's a reminder of this truth, that he could have remained in heaven, but you and I would have forever remained in judgment. But because he freely came at Christmas, he extends to us this unfathomable promise We who are spiritually bankrupt are given riches beyond our comprehension because of the Son. 
This is the true message of Christmas. It is a story that reaches far beyond Bethlehem into eternity past. It is a story that reaches far beyond our today into eternity in the future that tells of us and our glorious inheritance. Christmas tells the story of Jesus leaving it all so that we could find it all in him. And so as we close our time in God's word, as we close this service tonight, ponder this. Have you found it all in him? Have you found it all in him? Or have you, being so familiar with the story of Christmas, lost sight of that fact? That Bethlehem leads to Calvary. That the cradle leads to the cross. Christmas tells us the story of Jesus leaving it all so that we might find it all in him. Let's pray. Lord, we ask that you would help us to remember the true meaning and majesty of Christmas. That you would help us to remember all that you have done for us. The glory of the fact that you who were rich, yet for our sake became poor, that we might experience the incredible blessings of salvation in you. Help us to turn our hearts and our our affections to you this morning or this evening and forevermore. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.